1: Hi, this is Kevin Lindsay. Welcome to Systems and Cybernetics. I am excited today to be joined by Lena Rachel Anderson about her 2019 book, Meta Modernity: Meaning and Hope in a Complex World. Lena is an economist, author, futurist, philosopher and building activist. She is the author of 18 books, all written since 2005, recipient of two Danish democracy awards, a full member of the Club of Rome, president of the Copenhagen-based think tank Nordic Bildung and founder of the European Bildung Network. Welcome, Lena. Thank you for joining me from Denmark.
0: Well, thank you very much.
1: Before we jump into a conversation about your book, I'd like you to talk about Bildung. I used the word three times in your introduction, and I think it just might be great for some context setting.
0: Yes. So, short version. It's a German word and there is no English word for it. So that's why we just have to, you know, go with it. And and instead of, it means formation, it means cultivation, it means um, upbringing. So it's both the process and the result. And you could say, so why don't we go with realization or cultivation or civilization? Well, because there is this whole German tradition of, of philosophers who explored Bildung And they did that between 1774 and uh, 1810. And, of course, people have explored it since and written about it. Um, And so it comes with this heritage. And if you change the word, you also tend to lose. So, who said what about it first, or who inspired whom? So, uh, there is an advantage to just learning a new word. And when people can say, you know, Uber and Sky- uh, Skype and all kinds of words, they should also be able to learn the word Bildung. So, um, so we'll just we'll just go with that. Um, and it is. There, there are many ways of describing it. It is a, a, a concept in in sort of it's a part of life and it's the all the, the part of education that you cannot measure so you can do all kinds of tests and figure out if people have learned you know math and science and you can even test if they know how to bake a bread or fix a bicycle or something like that but then there is that emotional development the personal uh viewpoints the personal moral values and you know um dealing with stuff and life experience and all that connecting with community and being part of a community and becoming a team player and being able to take one for the team and that's you can't do that when you're seven but when you're 15 you should definitely have learned it and then there's the do I have the moral backbone to tell my friends that they're wrong? Or am I one of the sort of constant team players who just does what everybody expects me to do? Do I have the moral courage to actually develop a viewpoint of my own? Do I have the uh, moral backbone stamina, whatever you want to call it, to say, I think I should not pursue this career, but should you know focus on the environment or choose another career or uh, my marriage doesn't really work, we need to fix this, or uh, I, I want to do something else with my life. And then having that sense of, first of all, daring to do it, but also being able to do it in a civilized way. So, so Bildung is that combination of the easily transferable knowledge, and that's the math and science and languages and chemistry and all that stuff, and the non-transferable knowledge, it's really hard to transfer, but the kind of knowledge that comes from life experience and heartbreak and having a child and losing a job, getting a new one and all that, um, w- which is really what makes life meaningful. So Bildung is the combination of, of those different kinds of, of knowledge and the fact that there's a word for it allows us to talk about it and and there is in the German language, and also in the tradition of Bildung, there is a very strong connection with the formal education and the emotional development. And and that it's also, I mean, your emotional development also comes from struggling with new knowledge. And you know, damn, I don't understand this. I really have to, you know, ask somebody or keep studying or uh, figure out if this is the right thing for me. And and instead of just, you know, going after good grades, and what everybody expects. So so that is Bildung. And we started Nordic Bildung in 2018. And the reason why we call it Nordic Bildung, since the concept is from Germany, is that uh, in the late 18th century, early 19th century, the German philosophers were mainly thinking about this Bildung for the bourgeoisie and the aristocracy, um, to some extent, but mainly the, the bourgeoisie. Uh, but there was a Danish pastor. And at, and at this time, uh, around 1800, Denmark, Norway, Sweden, and Finland were among the poorest countries in Europe. So we were really dirt poor. And, and there was a pastor in Denmark, his name was Grundvig, and he realized all this building stuff that they're talking about in Germany, we need that for the peasants. It's not enough that the bourgeoisie has this education and emotional, moral development and know who they are and where they belong and can take responsibility. Um, it has to be in the villages. It has to be in the countryside. It has to be among everybody. And they need to know who they are and, and to which people they belong. And, and they're, they should know that they're not just peasants. They should know they're Danish peasants. Um, and so you and I grew up in a world, in a time where it's almost impossible to not notice which nation you belong to but 150 years ago 200 years ago that was the new big thing and um, i mean the nation state was just you know in the modern sense being created as a as a thing so uh, bildung is part of or grew out of that process and and one of the interesting thinkers in this uh, regard is friedrich schiller who said that only the People with bildung, and the both the, the. He said that there are three kinds of people. There are the people who are in the throes of their emotions, and that's just you know their their emotions have them, and so they're not free. But you can transcend this being in the throes of your emotions and become one of the. Um, rational people, what I would call a team player, and Schiller called it the rational people, and that's the people who follow the rationale of society. So that is where you take your moral guidance from your surroundings. But if you do that, you're not free either. So you transcend that by becoming the moral person. And what is the moral person? The moral person is the person who has become a team player and knows what the norms and expectations of society are, and are willing to live by them and, and find, you know, a uh, reason <laughs> behind the reason in, in society. But he can also, or she, can also feel his or her emotions and feel when something is wrong, when, when everybody else that I'm taking my guidance from is suddenly, you know, going in the wrong direction. And because I can feel these emotions and because I'm a moral person, I also have the moral courage to tell these people that they're doing something wrong. And the interesting thing, not least in our time, is that Schiller says that only the moral person can handle political freedom. So only the people who can take one for the team and feel their own emotions and stand up to the majority and, or everybody else uh, can handle political freedom. And I think that when we read the American constitution and we read these letters of freedom from when our democracies were established, I think this kind of thinking was actually rather um, not uncommon and I think there was an understanding of and I so I mean we look at the edit today and say oh why can only you know white males above the age of 35 own land uh, vote for instance and um, being a woman saying this it does come from a place where I think I'm, I'm happy things are different now but I also think there was actually, Uh, Some wise thinking behind it, because who would be the people in this society 200 or 250 years ago who were used to standing up for their viewpoints and making autonomous, independent decisions on behalf of themselves and their family out in the public sphere, not just at home, but out in the public sphere that would have been the landowning uh, white males above the age of 35, Um, And those were the people they entrusted with political power. In the meantime, the rest of us uh, have had good education. We have, at least hopefully we have, uh, women get it too. And so we have extended the political freedom and the political rights um, to women and everybody above the age of 18. But we can only keep our political freedom, our liberties, and a stable democracy if we then have enough Bildung among the 18-year-olds and up so that they can handle political freedom and so that we don't just have groupthink or people who follow uh, cultural trends or popular viewpoints or you know, uh, just do what their friends or family uh, do. But in order to have a democracy, you have to have adults who dare hold an autonomous viewpoint and be unpopular and say, no, I think I think everybody else is wrong and here is why. Um, and we have not for the past, I don't know, 50 years, maybe even 70 years, encouraged this in our school systems. And that is a huge problem. So when we talk about Bildung, I think it was really at the core of the modern university and college uh, when it was established in the early 1800s on both sides of the Atlantic, but we have forgotten about it and we have, uh, mismanaged our educational systems. And so we do not have this building aspect in education today, neither in the, you know, uh, primary education or secondary or tertiary education. And that is a huge problem.
1: Mm. Thank you for that. Um, Building is is really i think then just from your explanation really good context for jumping into the conversation about meta-modernity um i've had the benefit of reading the book but for for listeners i think it would be really helpful to hear you just provide a little bit of an introduction and and um you do you describe it as a, as a framework for understanding ourselves and our society in a much more complex way and so I think a lot of what you just just provided yeah, gives us some really nice context for that. So why don't you just take a, a few minutes to, to describe what you mean by the term meta modernity?
0: So I mean, uh, a cultural code, and I guess most of, I mean, all of the listeners here, hopefully, <laughs> have heard about postmodernism, postmodernity and and modernism or, or modernity. And so these are cultural codes and part of the modern world is democracy. Uh, Human rights, science, um, equal rights, uh, human... Yeah. Um, and then postmodernism or postmodernity, we can deconstruct everything and it became sort of a popular cultural code or shared frame of reference in the 90s when we had all this sort of irony everywhere. And um, uh, um, I mean, so, so we can deconstruct everything and there is this, uh, we need to see... I mean, anything you say can be understood from different angles and different perspectives. And it it can be really annoying when you have, you know, uh, uh, sort of hardcore postmodernists around you in a conversation because it's impossible to say anything. They just pull it apart and you really end up not being allowed to having your emotions and actually believing in something and really feeling it because somebody says, yeah, but you could also look at it from this point. So um, so we, we find ourselves in a time, at least in the West, where this modernity and postmodernism are tearing at each other and we're trying to figure out so what what is reality and, and what does it mean to be human. Metamodernity is then uh, a suggested cultural code that we can uh, hopefully create um, as an alternative to uh, postmodernism or postmodernity. And so there's the whole ism Itty question. An ism is a trend in culture. Itty is an epoch or a cultural code. Which has more substance to it. And I would say for the itties. You can build institutions. And uh, you can build societies on on itties. (laughs) Um, The isms are trends. More aesthetic trends. um, More emotional. More sensibility. And so there is a, a, a metamodernism. Out there now. Which is basically, or most often, described as the feeling that I want the modern world, I'm a modern human being, I want the human rights and democracy and freedom and all that stuff, I want science, but I also have that sense of that is not enough. And I want the postmodern deconstruction and the irony. And I can pull myself out of the big picture and look at everything from a different angle. And then I can pull myself in another direction and look at it from a different angle again. Um, so I can do that, but I cannot fill my life with postmodernism. And and you cannot, and that is my viewpoint, you cannot build societies. On postmodernism and why can't you build societies or institutions or anything on postmodernism? Well, because you cannot build societies on deconstruction. So we need that deep honesty and knowing that things matter and that things have significance in order for us to build you know, institutions, society, and also to bring up children. You cannot bring up children on irony and postmodernism. Their brains are not ready for it. They need you know, substantial emotional deep connection to adults, to culture, to playmates, to um, everything. So <clears throat> metamodern, metamodernism is this sensibility, and it's a trend in the arts that combines or juxtaposes the modern and the postmodern. What I do with metamodernity is that I say the sensibility is the feelings are not enough. We need to have an idea about what kind of future do we want. What what would be a great future for humanity, for local communities, for uh, countries, nation states? And I'm actually, in the best uh, understanding of the word, uh, a nationalist. So I believe in the nation state. And one of the reasons that I do it is that for a lot of people around the globe, there is a direct connection between uh, nation-state and the language within which they can participate in a political conversation. So uh, the fact that you and I are speaking your language now and not mine is because I was taught English in school and now I speak it often and frequently. But if I'm going to be active as a citizen in Denmark, I do it in Danish. And to most people around the globe, that is my uh, assumption, there's a direct connection between the mother tongue and the political system. And in order for us to have that meaningful uh, conversation about our country or the world outside our country, we need to do it in a language where we have depth and idioms and, you know, where we can have our emotions with us in in the conversation. So uh, metamodernity for the local community, for the nation state, for uh, the culture zone, uh, which in this case, I mean, you and I, so is the North Atlantic, uh, whatever we call ourselves these days. Um, and then there's the, the global uh, community. And metamodernity, apart from just being a, a an idea, a framework for hope, I also want more than the m- postmodern and the modern in this cultural code because before the modern there was what we could call the traditional or pre-modern and that is where we have the big bronze age and iron age civilization that is where we have the earliest math and you know the pyramids and we have africa has these you know ancient civilizations the americas had uh, also some some big societies um, but that is where people invented writing and what we know as religion today And so that is organized um, storytelling, narrative, identity, uh, moral and ethical conversation and uh, narratives about what it means to be a good person. So that is where you have the ethical values turned into moral values and narrative. And today we know it as religion. We have uh, the, the Judaism, Christianity, we have Islam, there's Hinduism, there's Buddhism, there's all these major religions, and then there are smaller local religions. Um, and we still need, we, we need this, we need to bring this with us into the future, because the scientific worldview that we got from the modern is not enough. There is an existential depth, there is a whole symbolic world, there's the whole moral ought that we cannot I mean, science cannot say what ought ought to be. Uh, we need a different kind of language for it. And we need it embedded in stories so that we can pass it on to the next generation. And so that we can have frames of reference. And I, if I say, um, uh, what would I say? Uh, like um, the name is Bond, James Bond, for instance. There will be a whole world in your head now unfolding with music and images and villains and heroes and societal structures and Britishness and tons of stuff. And that is what it means to share a culture. And so if we, we can, so this was a modern example, but we have all of this from the pre-modern era, the traditional era. And so, I mean, I, we, or we can talk about the Salomonic, uh, you know, um, solution. And it's like, oh, wow, there's this whole biblical uh, reference and there is another world that opens inside. And so that, that is what it means to have culture and building. And so we need this depth in our culture and we can't just get that from the modern world. We need the pre modern world as well. But that is only about eh, six, seven thousand years old if you include absolutely everything. Before that, there were two or three hundred thousand years of modern human beings who lived uh, in the Stone Age, either as hunter gatherers or as. Um, nomadic uh, herding tribes or with some level of horticulture perhaps even some agriculture but we are still born as stone age babies so our brains from the moment we enter this world say I want to live in the stone age I want to live in this little tiny tribe where everybody knows me as I grow up and where I have all these stable connections around me and where there are adults who see me and make sure that I thrive and who pass on their moral values and where I can feel safe and there is fresh air and fresh water and uh, I can run around and play you know until basically you know five or six years of age and then you start learning how to use tools and then there's a transition ritual at some point in puberty and then you're an adult and our brains are still made for that and then we take all these young people and we put them in, in kindergartens and we put them in schools and we put them in high school and we put them in college and we make sure they you know, are you know, have debt before they uh, can establish a family so they can't afford it. And we tell them not to have sex because we don't want them to have you know, children before they can, can provide for them. And so we've created this world where our Stone Age biology simply does not fit in. And so what I hope that we can do, and that is why I want this metamodernity, where that's my you know hope with this, is that we can learn to understand who are we as human beings? How do we how do we come from the Stone Age and learn through building, and that's the building process, to to acquire this historical heritage and the the modern values? And how how do we get the building to maintain democracy in the institutions we have? And how do we acquire this postmodern ability to step outside all of it and say, yes, but it is just a social construction uh, while we have the strong emotions and say, but this is really crucial to me. And how can, how can we harbor both of these aspects and feel connected to nature and see ourselves as a part of You know, the universe and um, the cycles in in nature and the planet and everything. And so metamodernity is this, as I envision it, this extremely complex cultural code where we draw on everything that we have created as human beings until now. Um, And uh, and it's something that we have to create because there is the evil cousin called hypermodernity. Um, where we don't create this kind of future, but where we allow the market and the technology and uh, our greed and anger and envy and all the you know nasty sides of ourselves, fear um, to dictate uh, the, the technological development and where we will have surveillance everywhere and where we'll have AI defining what you can do with your life or not. And where we'll have constant measuring of everything in our life to optimize everything. And we'll just have this constant surveillance where you can't, where you can never be offline and where you can never be uh, not under surveillance. And so, and and we can take the worst from all of these different uh, cultural codes. So we could take the clan structure from the indigenous stone age uh, group size and put it in political into political power and we could have the patriarchy and the violence from the pre-modern era and and lack of respect f- for diversity and um the yeah uh, the other uh in the way that a lot of traditional societies have had to have an outer enemy in order to keep together on the inside and then we can take the technology of the modern world and abuse it for oppression. And then we can take the postmodern lack of value hierarchies and say, oh yeah, but I mean there is there's no good or bad. It's all just relationships and power structure. Um, so welcome to hypermodernity. And so that's right. where I really do not want us to go.
1: That's how that all could play out, you know, if we continue down the current path is 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 higher describing it. I loved um, in the book, you know, what you just shared um, around the, the, you know, the the context and what, you know, what has come before, what the the epochs that that humanity has experienced and been part of. Um, You write um, that what we really need to be doing is emancipating elements of indigenous and pre-modern, modern, modern, and post-modern cultural codes, really the best ones, into one connected whole. That that's really the, the, Meta modern code. I, I I really appreciate that. Um, I'd love to actually talk a little bit about wh- you know why why we need to do this. I mean, you talked about the um, you know if we continue down into the uh, hyper uh, modern kind of uh, reality. That's 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 obviously um, when, something we want to avoid. But um, when you talk about um, things like uh, uh, we're we're experiencing a meaning making crisis, uh, for example, and or the institutions that that we have, or just the, the structures, the systemic structures, just can't support any any longer. They're 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 falling apart. I, w- I would just love you to talk a little bit more about the case for meta modernity.
0: Yeah, so I mean, you're asking two different questions there. One is the meaning crisis, and see, I'm I'm 54. No, I'm not. I'm 53. I'll be 54 very soon. Um, so I grew up in the 70s and uh, the 80s, and there were still a lot of uh, sort of pre-modern leftover uh, cultural values and rituals and uh, moral values in my surroundings. Uh, but I also came of age in the 90s and, uh, you know, joined uh, post-modernism and the whole wave of irony and, that makes me a very gave me a very different uh, upbringing than what anybody under the age of 30 has had, because they grew up during the postmodern era, where teachers, institutions, uh, social media, uh, movies, pop culture told them that there is nothing of deep and true and real value. It's all social constructions. and you, by the way, um, the world, you know, you can become anything you want. Uh, there's all these resources for you. I mean, I'm speaking from a Western perspective, uh, probably also mostly from a white perspective. but I mean there's there's all these, there are all these opportunities for you, and nothing is better than anything else. and it's just up to your uh, personal choice and preferences. And that is okay to say to people when they're 35, but if you say it to five-year-olds, they just get anxious because what their brain wants is adults who say, this is the way the world is, um, and here is how we do it. And then they go like, oh, wow, I want to make mom proud and do it the way that she tells me to do it. Um, We have a different relationship with other people when we're 35. But when we're five years old, we really want to show, I mean, we're, we're just... Craving to show the adults around us that we that we're good people, um, and um, and of course very often children cannot uh, fathom what is going on around them, and they do it wrong, and and uh, very often they do all the wrong things with the with the best intentions, and very often we misunderstand them, and we scold them, and we you know. T- t- and they, you know, get hungry at four o'clock. And if their blood sugar is low, it's just import, impossible to handle them anyway. So, I mean, there's all this stuff going on. Um, but the, um, the, the sense of um, there is a structure, there's a society, there are adults that are taking responsibility for society. We have a generation of young people who did not grow up with that. And I think we have created a lot of anxiety in these young people, uh, stress also. And then we and then we measure everything. I mean, somebody invented the spreadsheet, and we were like, "Yay! Now we can put all kinds of numbers into this and figure out who's best at what, and if everybody lives up to these standards." And so we've moved, and and here the whole building thing is sort of also edited out of our school systems because you cannot measure building, and shame on the person who tries. Uh, imagine if we started measuring, you know, oh, you'll get an eight uh, on, uh, on empathy and uh, nine points on, um, on honesty. I mean, that would just be terrible if we, if we measured those kinds of things, like a a B plus in, um, in fantasy. I mean, it's like imagination. What's (laughs) that? That wouldn't work. Um, So, um, so we would, um, so, so we have sort of, made a, a, a much thinner or more shallow uh, learning fabric. And, and we have not had the moral courage to to give a generation uh, that is, is becoming the young adults now um, the sort of uh, moral and emotional depth that comes from belonging to a culture and civilization. And... When you don't do that, you will have young people who still keep searching for it. Um, and the great thing about having this kind of solid, strong cultural identity is that you can actually break away from it. But if you don't have it, you'll still be searching for it. And I also think that much of the um, gender identity, and uh, I, I absolutely understand much of the. Uh, debate about, uh, race and whiteness and black lives matter in the U S and this whole, uh, you know, decolonialization of, uh, of our, our culture. I I'm all for it. What I'm not for is the, so I'm, I'm for woke, but I'm against the intolerance towards the people who make a, you know, stupid remark, a Freudian slip, whatever, or, uh, a, an improper joke 20 years ago or, I mean, we need to, yeah. So, um, so I think that by not providing, uh, you know, the people under 30 with, with um, a a cultural identity, they're, they're searching an identity somewhere else. And they, food is also another identity like veganism uh, or or organic living or, you know, uh, sustainable living. So, people will find an, ident- an identity elsewhere. Uh, the great thing about actually having cultural depth and knowing your culture and your cultural roots and where you're coming from is that you also have a, a richer vocabulary. And so that, that is where we get into the uh, Solomon and the uh, the name is Bond, James Bond. I mean, there's this whole world inside our minds that we don't have to actually formulate. We just know that, that we share this reference. Um, so... Uh, I, I think that we're, um, we're we're living in a time where we risk losing many of, of these cultural roots that, that used to be there. Uh, some of them we definitely should not keep repeating, uh, like racism and colonialism. And um, there's a lot of uh, economic equality. We need to uh, figure out a sustainable our economic system. Um, but we can only do this if we have these deep roots into our cultural fabric and if we recognize science and that there are things that are more, I wouldn't say more real, but more substantial or that we can't change that aren't just a social construct. I mean, the laws of physics, gravity, it's going to be there whether you like it or not. It's, it's going to work every time. Um, and so we need to be better at Understanding which of these systems, which of these forces are uh, given, and we'll just have to live with them. We can use them to our own advantage, but we can't change them, like gravity. Um, or and and then there are the cultural systems, like the economy or the internet, for that matter. We created that, and we can change it. So, um, and and that is is also part of this whole meta modern metamodernity uh, where we can understand that there are some things we cannot change. They will always be that way. And then there are things that we created and we can make them, you know, change them completely. And when you talk about them, so that is the, that is the meaning crisis and we need to understand all these things. And then there's the, the things that are falling apart and you have the institutions that can't hold things together anymore. And one of the reasons is that the really strong, and well-functioning institutions until 10, 20 years ago were nation-state based. And then we created technologies that connect us globally and we get cheap airline tickets and people, at least some people, but critical mass among people, particularly the people with the most money and resources, start thinking in global terms. And so um, we suddenly have companies, uh, for instance, Walmart, they have an annual revenue that is bigger than the GDP of Denmark. I mean, this is insane. So we have a private company uh, that makes mo- more money per year than the uh, GDP of Denmark, a, a sovereign, in, on paper, a sovereign nation state. Um, and we have, what is it, Apple? What is it, like $3 bill- trillion in market cap? Uh, who who which country wouldn't be willing to change their corporate tax in order to just have a tiny proportion of that uh, i know it's the cap is not taxed but it's like so um so we have we have private entities that have bigger economic power than nation states and we do not have institutions to handle that and so we need to build institutions that match the postmodern world we really just have institutions for the the modern world we also have the institutions for the pre-modern world that's called a, a cathedral um but but we need institutions for this post-modern or preferably meta-modern world and uh and we have not started that conversation but um if this war uh in ukraine uh has a, some sort of peaceful uh, ending where we have uh, stable nation states on the other side of it that should be uh, the project that we start working on. I mean, we got NATO, we got the EU, we got the UN, There are, we got the OECD. There are many uh, of these institutions that we have created, but they're not strong enough uh, they don't have a monopoly on violence, for instance. Um, you could say that NATO has that somehow, but not within, I mean, in its own areas. No, it's a different kind of thing. So we need to create institutions for the 21st century. And uh, and that is what metamorality yeah. is about. Among Thank us.
1: you. And, and just for everyone's um, benefit, we're recording this on March 14th. Yes. So we're about <laughs> three you. weeks in, in, almost, I think, in, into the war in Ukraine. Yep. Um, by the time some people listen, you know, who, who knows? Um, we
0: have no idea. I, I, right. I did another uh, podcast a couple of weeks ago and I was like, we also had to say on which day we we're doing this because I mean, this is yeah. so terrible. It, it really is on all levels.
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, I want to respond to uh, your, your responses. Um, when I think about the capacity that any Individual or group or society, nation, state or institution um, has to do this to make this leap or create this future that 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 you're talking about. Um, you know, one of my my takeaways uh, because I, you know I'm I'm always kind of looking and, and appre- looking for and appreciating the the, the systems um, sensibility. Is you, you know you you talk about how it, we we need to be doing this from a systems perspective, you write that we generally don't see that sum total or the, the complex interactions, uh, and and complex interconnections, the synergies, the emergent properties, and the tipping points. Uh, you know we we and we will continue to fail to to do that without, you know, and I'm also developing an appreciation for Bildung and and kind of how are you, you're thinking about it from what we do from with uh, young people in the education system and, 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 and beyond is, is super interesting, but, you know, kind of bringing this to that, um, you know, what does it take then to, you uh, Do this. Um, In my last episode, I interviewed Sean Kelly about his book *Becoming Gaia*, and he um, talks a little bit about a maybe a a second axial age. And and you you bring up the axial age in in uh, in your book. And and so it made me curious whether whether you you think maybe maybe what we are getting into now or what we need is a, is a second axial age or are there different characteristics or or just maybe it's maybe it's what you've been describing that like looking all the way back many 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 thousands of years and 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 bringing that integral um, approach. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that.
0: I I think, um, I mean, we're starting that conversation now. If if we could get everybody to understand that there is such a thing as bildung, and that it's really crucial. Uh, I mean, there's a word for that aspect of life, Uh, and uh, that it's it's really crucial if we're going to have freedom and democracy. Uh, Then we could have a conversation about it. I don't have these solutions. I don't have a plan. But uh, what I want us to do is to have the conversation. And we can have that at uh, you know the workplace. We can have it over lunch. We can have it in the family. We can have it in the church. We can have it you know, all these places where people meet. And if we had the idea of metamodernity, we could also have that conversation. And say, what is it that is really valuable to us that we do not want to lose in the transition that we're in? And one of the great things about metamodernity, the way that I work with it, is that. If you're a religious fundamentalist and all of your, you know, understanding of the world comes from, you know, holy scripture, I'm not going to take the holy scripture away from you. I'm not going to tell you that you cannot have your religion, but I do want to insist that you add something to that, and you can actually live with two different um, understandings of the world inside your head um, it is, it does not make you a lesser person. It actually makes you a richer person. And so, um, you also need to know physics. You also need to know geography. You also need to know about the climate. Um, but with your religion and with your religious community, you also have community that may actually be able to create some of these changes and where you can change your behavior collectively once you understand uh how we need to change our behaviors in order to just survive around our own you know consumption um and one of the things that i think a lot of people don't understand with regards to the climate for instance and that's where the complexity uh, and the tipping point and all of that uh comes in is that It's not just like, you know, the heater in your room where it's like you turn up one degree and it's like, ooh, a little bit warmer. Ah, two degrees, really nice and warm. And like three degrees, mm, now I really can, you know, take off my sweater. Uh, In nature, it's like, on average, one or two degrees warmer means that we will have... This much colder winters and these much more warmer summers and these more you know extreme rainfalls and uh, and we're going to have these tipping points and and you know um, sort of synergies um uh, you know permafrost and uh, stored CO2 in the uh, permafrost and once that starts melting, you have you know. Um, more co2 in the atmosphere and stuff like that
1: so and they're not entirely predictable any of these things um but if we don't have some sort of systemic sensibility and therefore go all right as this as we experience another increase of one degree there will be some unforeseen unanticipated consequences like we it seems like we don't have that capacity right now. And you know, you you talk in the book about conflicts between the codes and the it's I took that as these, you know, these tensions that are maybe keeping us fractioned and, and fractured and unable to be, maybe it's keeping our willingness to even develop this uh, at bay.
0: And I mean everything that we know as as the major religions uh today, uh, but that's I'm not going to say all religion, but let's just say the take the the, the Judeo-Christian-Muslim uh, religion tradition. There, um, the 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 Bible and the Quran are trying to convince people that they should stop being pre-Bronze Age uh, indigenous peoples with the polytheism, the uh, connection to nature, the rituals, and the value systems of the um, prehistoric indigenous world, and so uh, there was genocide. I mean, there was all kinds of violence in order to get people to comply with the with the legislation of the Torah, the the Old Testament. And uh, and then you have Christianity that tries to you know separate itself from Judaism. Then you have Islam that tries to separate itself from both Christianity and Judaism. So every time there's a new religion, they try to tell you that the old religion was, they misunderstood everything. Now we have the real truth. And so we did the same thing with science. And was like, oh, religion is the bad thing. Now we have the scientific answers. And then we got postmodernism that says, oh, science is just one perspective. We have all these perspectives. So we've always done this. And so we look back at the previous code and say, this is, you know, this is worth nothing. So what we can do in metamodernity is to say, all of these codes contain something that is crucial for human well-being and for meaning-making and for community and for, you know, sustainability. And if we look at sustainability, we need to understand that we are nature, that we are part of the cycles of nature, just like our Stone Age forefathers and mothers did. We're part of Gaia uh, and we will die if it dies. We need the uh, aesthetics and the big assemblies and the rituals together that we have from the pre-modern traditional world and religions in order to handle, because we can't all go back and live in the forest. We do need to have big societies where we can coordinate and have the moral conversation about, so how do we do this? And then we need the science and we also need to be able to sort of lift ourselves out of it and deconstruct everything. Um, so so on, a, on a concrete topic like the environment, we can actually apply these different codes and aspects of being human. And if we go to religion, for instance, again, the Judeo-Christian Muslim tradition, we all know the story about Noah and the flood. And here's an interesting thing. 11,000 years ago, when we left the ice age, I mean, the ice melted. What happens with all the ice? Well, it becomes water, and so the water rises. There must have been, 11,000 years ago, a lot of coastal communities and a lot of rain. And a lot of people who, during that rain, got flooded and drowned. And I'm absolutely convinced that the story we know about Noah is the story about the end of the last ice age, which is the beginning of the Holocene where we have been able to create the civilizations that we have known and do know, and agriculture. And we live in a climate zone, time frame, period, epoch, uh, that can sustain 8 billion people. We cannot promise that the Anthropocene, the next climate epoch, can feed 8 billion people. For one reason, if the water rises 10 meter, 30 feet, um, that is going to be a lot of of, uh, agricultural land, soil. And a lot of uh, societies get their fresh water from melting snow. And so there's, there's no snow on the mountaintops there's going to be no fresh water.
1: It's so interesting. It's, it's I have never really thought about it that way. It's in the same way when you said Bond, James Bond, th- that that story is part of the cultural code for most, well, not, not maybe most, but many, many people on this planet. So you know something to um to have learned from you know you um i, I there's something that uh, you write that i just i loved in your description of of metamodernity and and the role it plays as a dynamic epistemological web with several fine meshed areas solid enough that we can travel from one to another an archipelago of ex- existential solid grounds mm, that it's just so
0: <laughs> yeah so <yeah>. easy <laughs>
1: I love it. Um, and, you know, so it's that, it's that systems perspective that, you know, we, we uh, just need and, and this is what it could, what it could do for us. It's a very juicy phrase. I, I loved it. But one thing that you, you said early on um, when you were talking about creating this future, like creating this um, meta modern code, um, you also write the cases where people have actually tried to design a future. Have usually ended in disaster, so I'm curious about that. And then maybe you know, as we start to think about wrapping up our conversation, um, how that ties to the the, the pitfalls, maybe um, that 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 exist from the different epochs and codes that that uh, we need to pay attention to.
0: Yeah. So. Uh, I mean, the, the mistake that people have generally made is that they think, oh, so I just came up with the perfect model, and now I will make sure that everybody, you know, gets it, and then we do it like that. And uh, you can do that with uh, fascism, you can do it with Nazism, you can do it with communism, and we have, I guess, more or less done it with the uh, sort of market uh, libertarianism uh, system, as well as like, there is one way of doing things right, and now everybody has to do it. Uh, and. What works is that everybody has the bildung to understand the world they're in and then be creative where they are and self-organize around it. So um, the, the more people know and the more freedom they have to apply their knowledge and negotiate local solutions, uh, the more you can have uh, functioning systems and complex systems that evolve organically. And uh, we have you know technologies now that allow people to learn anything from anywhere, really. And we have um, institutions that can provide uh, fact checking and making sure that there's also it's quality that people read and study, uh, that can verify sources and stuff like that. Uh, the question is, are we doing this, or are we just pursuing entertainment and silly stuff, and uh, you know, filling our bellies with junk food and our heads? Um, I love junk food. Uh, I do love silly stuff, but you cannot. It's like postmodernism. You cannot base a life on base a life on it. So, um, I hope that with this framework of metamodernity, we can become aware as individuals, as families, communities uh, of. So when we what is it that we do that we would really like all our children to understand? What is it that we do, or in this company, for instance, why why do we go to work here? What is it that we produce that is important? And if it's not important, why are we producing it? Um, should we produce something else? Um, what is what is the purpose with with what we're doing? If we could have those conversations and people once they then run into that wall, which is, I don't know, uh, or I have no idea where things are coming from or why we're doing this. If you then have the time and freedom and resources to explore, why are we doing this? What, where did this come from? What was the context for this? Um, then I think we can, then we can have an organic development towards a, a, a meta modern meaningful future. And uh, I, I think the mistake that, that people have made is that somebody thinks they came up with the system uh, I would call meta modernity a framework for understanding and for negotiation, and um, and and among those negotiations, among those conversations, should be. So, what are the institutions that we need for this? Some of the institutions will be algorithms. I mean, we. I don't know if, if some. I mean, maybe you could come up with with an algorithm that uh, that runs fact checking, um, and where you. Um, you know, one thing that I, I hope we can do, I don't know if it's technically possible, but if you could have some sort of black box in AI that checks how the AI came up with the result that it came up with so that we can actually check the AI uh, results, uh, some kind of blockchaining the, the, alg- the whatever it was it came up with when it found the patterns, what was it that it found and how did it find it? Uh, and when it, when we ask AI to make decisions for us, that we can also follow the rationale behind them. Uh, I know that as humans, we're really poor at this because we tend to make the the rationale after we did things. Then we come up with a story explaining what we did. Uh, But AI should actually be able to record the process. So there are things that we can do with the technologies that we have uh, and with our own minds, and with the cultures that we have, and the languages, and the references, and all that stuff, and apply it so that we make a meaningful future for ourselves and sustainable.
1: That's very cool. Um, you know, my my big takeaway on meta modernity is just really this multi layered systems perspective um, that brings you know the 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 best of the. Of the human experience um and really um it, it's that opportunity to um you know do away with the, the ones that don't serve but figuring out like wh- what does it actually mean to serve like really kind of understanding and and uh getting to that that point where we we, we know uh as we're sort of I- experiencing as as the civilization is um Evolving, and as you say, you know, like we can't, we can't do this in a vacuum. We can't say, "Here's this perfect utopian model that we just need to go build and and do." Um, that it has to be something that comes out of that that shared experience and and the learnings. Um, powerful stuff.
0: Yeah, and uh, and everybody can join. I think that is really crucial. Also, I mean, we we can join from from where we are. And we should be able to join from where we are.
1: Absolutely. Well, I think our, our time for this conversation has probably uh, run out. And uh, I'm, I'm sure that you have things to do uh, in your busy day. So I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. And uh, the listeners are going to really appreciate this. I, I really recommend reading the book. We haven't been able to to touch on on all the, the juicy parts that I, I really want people to know about. So thank you so much, Lean. Well, thank you. This is Kevin Lindsay. You've been listening to my really enjoyable conversation with Lean Anderson about her 2019 book, Meta-Modernity, Meaning and Hope in a Complex World. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Thanks for joining. And until next time, so long.